it's just amazing to, to see what, what God is doing. Even I, I feel like actually watching that video was like better than being there. I don't know how that's possible, but walking around, it just looks so much uh, better on video. And also we, we made a deal with Paul Turner, so I have to come good on this to get him on camera. I had to refer to him as our construction pastor, Paul Turner. So uh, when you see him, that's how he'd like to be greeted from now on. Paul Turner, construction pastor. Uh, and he's just doing a fantastic job as well, which is really good. So I hope you are excited uh, seeing that this morning. For those of you who don't know me or forgotten what I look like, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the, the staff here. And uh, we've been away on holidays and it's, it's so good, uh, you know, being away. I think the last time we came to church was Christmas Eve. Uh, so it's really good to, to be back home and we've been away with friends and family. But there is truly nothing uh, as good and as special as being home in your home church uh, with your home family. So it's exciting to, to be here this morning and, and to be able to share uh, from God's Word. And even just looking at that uh, video this morning, you know, this morning we're looking at the topic of, of restore, or the word restore, and thinking about that building uh, and what we're doing there and what we're doing in that area is truly to bring restoration to a community, restoration to a suburb, to a, to a whole uh, city of Wanneroo. And when I see that, that's what I think of. It's, it's not just uh, bricks, it's not just a, a fancy building going up, but it's going to be a place that is truly going to see restoration come to a community that needs it. And that, that just excites me uh, so much to be able to do what we're doing here, but then to do it somewhere else as well is, a, is an exciting thing. But this morning, as I mentioned, we are looking at the, the topic of restore and what it means uh, for us as, as Christians to, to focus on that word, restoration, to, to see what it looks like for God to restore. And, uh, you know, I, I, look, I think about our community and, and our world, and we are fascinated by this word, restore. We're fascinated by this concept. You look on TV, and there's the, the biggest loser, and there's this grand designs, and there's all these shows that when you boil it down, come down to restoration, don't they? they I feel like Josh Hegland should have been here this morning to hear me say grand designs because he would have uh, been listening and excited and he would have had his hanky out. I don't know where that's gone, Phil. That was exciting while I was here. Did that go while I was on holiday? Uh, but, you know, we're, we're fascinated by this. And it's not saying I've been into these shows. I don't normally watch them. In fact, I haven't had free-to-air TV for like seven years or something. Uh, due to just not hooking up an aerial, I discovered that it just wasn't plugged in and didn't have free-to-air TV. But now I have free-to-air TV. And one night after church on a Sunday, I went home and I thought, this free-to-air TV, what great new technology this is, and started kind of watching. And, and this show, The Block, came on. Any fans of The Block at all out there? Uh, you, don't have to be, you don't have to be shy or embarrassed about that. And, and I was watching The Block and, and was fascinated by what was going on here. And this year on The Block, I found out previously not having free-to-air TV, there were other episodes of The Block, other seasons. I thought this was the first. I thought it was a new thing. Apparently, it was number 11. So I'm 11 seasons behind. I got some catching up to do. But they decided this year in Melbourne, what they would do is take an old kind of rundown motel. It was considered one of the, the biggest, it's on the left there, one of the biggest eyesores in Melbourne, they called it, in one of the busiest uh, spots. And that they would take that, gut it, tear it apart, and turn it into these, uh, I guess, penthouse apartments, these luxury uh, apartments. And what kind of fascinated me was just seeing each week them take it from this old brown brick, run-down, horrible-looking thing to, to this building that is, is beautiful inside and outside and actually went crazy in value. I was reading this article about it this week, and they uh, auctioned these off and they went for like each apartment, kind of went for like over a million dollars each. Some of them more than that, more than the reserve, more than what they were worth. And so this run down, no good building that no one wanted, that, that was no good for anything, that was just people would see it and, and it was ugly. People were actually paying well over 
what it was worth. I assume that's what TV does to things. People get excited and and want to want to pay more because Carol and Kingy built the built the number three floor, and so that's the one I want. And there's a cafe downstairs, and it's this amazing, beautiful kind of place. But I was reading this article that people actually paid far more than what it was worth. And one uh, investor said you would actually be crazy to purchase it because of where it is, how busy it is, that it's not even worth a fraction of, of what was auctioned off for. Yet through watching it week in, week out, seeing all the incredible things that went into it, you couldn't see any kind of views or, or, or any of the traffic. They're quite good with their camera work. So they look like this amazing thing and people have run in there. And because of the restoration that's taken place, it's gone from one of the ugliest kind of no good buildings in Melbourne to one of the most popular, expensive apartment blocks in the city of Melbourne. And as I was watching that, week in, week out, I'd get home and, and I was kind of putting my baby to sleep on time to watch the block. So his routine uh, fell around what time the block was on, uh, which was seven o'clock. So it worked perfectly. But, you know, we, we were fascinated week in, week out watching this restoration take place. But I find it's not just that, because you could find shows that would do that. But then there's the drama that comes. There's the, there's the, the relationships with the people and the girls bickering with the other girls and, and the tradies who are good, like linking up with each other and the firing of builders and all the drama that came. I found myself just getting sucked into it. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like them anymore. And I follow these ones on. And I hope they win the challenge this week just because I like them. And their building's not even as good as theirs, but because they're nicer, I hope they win. And stuck into the drama of life. And I think it's, you know, as I was just thinking about this concept, how fascinated we get by this, how drawn in we get by this. We get hooked on these kind of uh, shows and reality shows. But the thing for me is they're not actually really reality, are they? They're, they're somebody else's spin. They're somebody else's take. You kind of see the bickering that they want you to see. You see they, they, they're able to twist the, the relationships the way the producers want them to so people like me will watch them. They only show you kind of parts of the buildings that they want you to see. One of the episodes that I really loved was they, they had all these beautiful buildings and they gave them uh, what they call a defect list. And when they went through that defect list and, and all the things that the tradies had done wrong and it needed to be fixed and how expensive it was and how they're all on their knees crying because they'd run out of budget, it was funny that it didn't matter how aesthetically well they'd done it. If it wasn't built properly, when the defect list came out, the building was suddenly no good until it was fixed. It couldn't be sold. It was, it, but all the, the beautiful finishes, you're like, that just looks perfect. It looks finished. It looks nice. But it was, it was just no good. It wasn't restored properly. And so it would fall apart. And so I just became fascinated by this whole concept. And this week, as I was thinking about restore, the idea of, of taking what is old and broken and run down and turning it into something amazing is not just about the outside, but it's also about the inside as well. And, and so today I wanted to, to look at a, a passage of scripture that when it, when it really comes to what it looks like to, to have restoration or to be restored spiritually, I feel like Jesus in, in this passage of scripture really sums it up well for us in this. And so we're going to look at Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to, to 26. And it says this, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away saying, don't go back to the village on your way home. 
And we're just going to look at these few verses and pull some, what I think are truths out of these verses that I think for us as, as people of Christ, as followers of Christ, as, as his church, uh, should be able to apply to ourselves, that, that we should be able to take hold of when it comes to the idea of what does it mean to be restored. And the first one is, oh, actually just to, to go further, the word restore used there, and I cannot pronounce this word, so you can, you can put it up for me, uh, if that's right, there it is. And I was looking at this, and, and, and the direct translation of that is to reconstitute. I didn't really like that word either, so I was like, let's have a look at what reconstitute means. I don't, I don't really know that. I've seen there's like juice that's reconstituted, and I didn't like it. So I was like, I need something better than this. Uh, don't you hate it when those research plans go, go wrong? And, and so I, I looked, and it says, to reconstruct or to form again. Now that I could work with. To, to reconstruct or to form again. And so when we're talking about that, when he, when he says he restored his sight, he's, he's, he's returned it to its original state. He's, he's restored it. He's reconstructed it. He's formed it again. The guy couldn't see anything. He was blind. And after an encounter with Jesus, could see so clearly. But the first point I want to I pull out of this, when it looks, what it looks like to, as, as Christians to, to have restoration, to restore, is that restoration is church business. So, you know, we just talked about them, watch the incredible video going up. But the first thing I, that stands out to me is that the people took the man to Jesus. The, the blind man didn't find Jesus on his own. He wasn't expecting to find him. He wasn't like, uh, there's Jesus. I can hear him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. These people took him by the hand and they walked him to Jesus. And then they didn't just place him strategically in Jesus' way and then kind of just back off into the bushes. It, it says that they begged Jesus to, to touch him and heal him, that they begged him, that they pleaded with him. And so often in these miracles of Jesus' healing and people encountering Jesus, isn't it people bringing the person to Jesus? You think of the man lowered through the roof. You, there, there's, there's lots of uh, references in here where, where it shows similar that people would bring others to Jesus and say, Jesus, can you heal him? I think of the, the centurion who comes and goes, Jesus, please, can you, can you, heal, this, can you heal this sick person? It's the, the pleading. And as a church, aren't we called to do that? Aren't we called to bring people to Jesus? Isn't, isn't it our, our calling to, to, to get on behalf of other people and say, Jesus, could you help restore them? We can't be, be fooled into thinking that it, it, it's us who does the restoration, that, that it's us that, that kind of is responsible for people being healed, and, but we have a part to play. Jesus clearly calls us to have a part to play in this. And it's in our way, in our world, in our life, I can only assume that these were friends maybe of the blind person or family or someone that knew him, probably not randoms who just grabbed him and started leading him by the hand. I feel he'd probably be uncomfortable with that. Where are you taking me? But they would have had a plan to go, I'm going to take you to the one that can restore your sight, that can change your life, that can take you from begging and not being able to see anything to having full sight back through Jesus. You know, just recently when I was uh, in Melbourne on holidays uh, with my family, we were just hanging out and having a great time. I, I decided I'd go get a haircut, something I enjoy doing. And so uh, my son was having a sleep and I was like, Zoe, I'm just going to go out for a bit and went to this store to have a haircut. And, and I sit in the chair and this normally happens. It happens all the time. They ask what you do. But in this scenario, I kind of decided I was on holiday. So I kind of wanted to avoid, I know that sounds bad, doesn't it? But I was like, oh, I just want to avoid talking about church just for a bit. So I kept peppering this guy with questions like one after the other, like, what do you do? Do you have family? And just kept going. And then the, the pause came and I was like, cool, I think we've talked enough. And so he's sitting there clipping away for a minute. And he goes, so what do you do? I was like, come on, man, like, I'm on, ho I'm on holidays here. No, I didn't really say that to him. I was like, I just took a breath and I said, oh, I work uh, for a church. I'm a pastor in a church in Perth and uh, that's what I kind of do. 
And he goes, what? Like Sundays. I was like, yeah, Sundays. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's what we do. And he's like, but you work for the church full time. That's your full time job. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, what the heck would you do other than show up to church on a Sunday? And I was like, that's a good question. Started thinking over my, what do I, how do you explain this to a guy? Like, and so I was like, well, you know, and I start kind of talking things through. And he was kind of a bit like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess it must take a little bit of work to make a Sunday happen, but, but not every day. And he goes, so what else do you do? And I was like, well, look, one of my roles is I work with young adults. And he's like, oh, yeah. So I was like 18 to kind of 30-year-olds. And, and that's kind of my role. Part of what I do is to, to help kind of build in. And he's like, well, what does that mean? And I say, well, part of me is for a university age group, so often they're deciding what they want to do with their life. They're thinking about different things and where they want to go. They're obviously, uh, you know, making adult decisions and beginning to think about what life's going to look like for themselves and not living necessarily in their parents' houses, all of them. I know some do. And, and, but really they're forming who they are as people. And I see it as my kind of role to help them do that. And I believe that, that God has a plan for their life. And I'm sitting in the barber's chair doing this and then people are like stopping and like looking at me and like the dudes with the scissors, other scissors and he's like putting them down. He's like, dude, dude, go on. I was like, don't you have some work to do? And, and I keep talking and I... And, and I, I just would have rambled on about how I just think God has a plan for people and, and you know, not all, not all people are born in the church and, and understand God, but I believe that God has a plan for each person and, and as they're figuring this out, this is what I'd hope that they would find and so I find my role is to, to hang out with them and help them and, and these are the things that, and he kind of, by the end of it, he like put his scissors down and was like listening to me and, and then I was like, dude, can you keep, yeah, and he's like, yeah, cool, and, and he keeps cutting and he's like, I don't know what I want to do with my life, this is, and so we're just talking. And by the end of it, I'm like, there's this great church in Melbourne. Uh, I'm actually going there on Sunday. And, and, and I just told him about it and what, it, what it's about. And I kind of just left that with him. I thought it'd be, you know, I, I don't think I was going to be there the following Sunday. But I just wanted to tell him kind of where he could find that. And I don't know what he did. He was a, weirdly a fly-in, fly-out hairdresser. I didn't know they existed, but he kind of flies all around the thing. So I, I was like, where do you live, Brisbane? I was like, there's another church in Brisbane. And, just started, and he goes, man, you guys are everywhere. And I was like, yeah. And... and but I walked away from that and I didn't really think much about it. But as I was preparing for that this week, the challenge for me was to kind of get a little bit uncomfortable in that space. To actually really, I actually had to really think about what I do. Because so often I can just show up to work day in, day out, go, and, and that's working for church. And there's so many things that have to happen in the church. And so, but sometimes I can just forget the significance of what God's called me as an individual to do. And how he's called me to see people to be restored. And how my business is about seeing people restored. And sitting in that barber's chair, it would have been really easy to go, yeah, we just do mass on Sundays, as he called it, and kind of what I do during the week is get ready for that and help people, and it's pretty good, and, and move on. And I don't know, he probably just thought I was this crazy guy who couldn't wait to get rid of and, and go tell his mates about after and, and, and whatever. But I, that's not up to me. My kind of job is to go, here's Jesus. He can actually make a difference in your life, and I truly believe that. And I'll get uncomfortable enough that I've got to sit in your seat for another 20 minutes and let you finish my haircut and hope that you don't give me some special cut because you don't like church and, and, and all of these things. And just trust that God knows what he's doing and that God will bring change. And so my first real challenge starts with us as a church, as a people who, who say that we, you know, and believe in, in Christ and follow Christ, that when we get out into our world, sure, we all do different things. Our lives look entirely different but we're all called to the same business. And that is the business of seeing people's lives restored through the power of Jesus. And so my encouragement for you this morning is to think about that on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday 
and not actually forget about it, not just remember on Sunday. And I'm not like kind of telling everyone else, like I, I think about this myself, that how often do I go out of my way with the thinking that Jesus could change this person's life if I truly led them there and pleaded with Jesus to make a difference? Wouldn't that be a good thing? And so for us as a church, I believe that is what we are called to do. I believe it's what we're doing. It's we're setting ourselves up here and in another location to, to see people's lives changed. But I truly also believe that Christ wants to restore each one of us. And when we put ourselves in the position of that, that blind man, as Christians, that's, as people on earth, that's where we find ourselves, in a place where we need restoration, and so for each one of us, there's a, there's, there's a few steps I kind of just wanted to go through to go, you know what, if there's areas in our lives that we need to let Christ restore, here's some keys on how we can let him do that. And the first one is this, that we, we must give Christ our attention. You know, Jesus could have healed the blind man right there and then in front of the crowd. In fact, Jesus would have had his own reasons to not do that, to not create a fuss and a stir and, and have everyone stirring in that moment. And I love what he does is it says he takes him by the hand and he walks him outside of the city where it's quiet, where it's private, where it's just him and the disciples. And he does something a little bit outrageous. He spits in the man's eyes. Every time I read a story of Jesus doing this, I think, he's blind, Jesus. Why spit? And I don't really understand it because it's offensive. It was offensive now. It's offensive then. If you're going to pray for someone, I recommend not spitting in their eyes first. That's a Jesus thing. And he spits in his eyes. But when I was reading into that, it would have got the man's attention. But it also would have drawn his focus to Jesus and made him realise what was happening. Because in the same moment, he spits and he makes that saliva. And then he, I mean, grossly, he wipes it in the guy's eyes. And he's got his attention. And he's there and he's focused. Whether he wanted to be or not, he knew something was coming. Because he would have heard it. But he's got the attention. He's pulled out of there and he is focused on who Jesus is and what he's going to do in that moment. You know, the next one ties into this as well for me is that the environment is important. Again, we see Jesus leading him out into the city. He's by himself. He's there. Jesus has his attention now. But so often we need to put ourselves in an environment where Christ can work. You know, I think about my own life and, and ways that I get distracted. And actually, it's just very easy. I don't actually have to try very hard to get distracted or to, or to focus on, on, on something else. But if you want my attention, don't turn sport on any TV within anywhere that's of, of, of viewing uh, range. I, uh, people will have conversations with me. I, I genuinely just don't hear them. Uh, when we have people coming over, Zoe will be like, Ryan, can you please turn the TV off now? And I'll be like, why? So there's people coming over. I'm like, yeah, they're not here yet. When they get here, turn it up. Unless they like sport and we'll keep watching. Now, we'll turn it up. But the problem is, she's like, they're going to knock at the door. And I'm like, yep. So when they knock at the door, I turn off the TV. I get up. It's right next to the room. And then she progresses and says, no, the problem will be is they will knock at the door. I'm cooking in the kitchen. You will not hear them. Therefore, you will not answer the door. Therefore, I will either have to run out and do it, leaving whatever is cooking to burn. Or alternatively, they'll just keep knocking because you don't hear them. I'm like, that's not true. We'll see. So she leaves. I come back, surely enough, she's opening the door, the people are here, and I'm like... <laughs> it was important. But it doesn't matter what's going on, I will just be entirely distracted by what's going on on that screen. 
my son unfortunately has inherited my, my, my thoughts on this. He, he will find a TV within 100 metres of it. He will turn and bend and he's like four months old and he'll do anything he can to, to get in front of a TV, which I know is bad for him. Please don't judge me. I don't let him watch it. But he just is fascinated and distracted by, by what goes on there. We can't place ourselves in environments of distraction when it comes to the moment where we want Christ to restore something in our lives. He needs to have our complete attention. We need to set aside time and spaces that, that Sundays, yes, are important to, to be in church and they're a great uh, time to, to be together and to worship. But when we really want him to do business in our lives, it can't just be once a week. We need to create spaces in our world where we can allow him to speak into our lives, where maybe we can get around a few other people and get them to, to pray with us and speak into our lives as well. Because when he has our attention and when we're away from the busyness and the, the mess and the, the clutter of life, so often then we can be open to hear what he wants to say. I can find in church, so often I can be sitting in here and just thinking about the next service or, or what's going to be happening this afternoon or what I might be having for lunch. That's normally the second service. And, and I can be sitting there and I can completely miss what's going to happen in, in church because I'm off somewhere else. But when my environment is there and it's set and it's right and my attention is focused on Christ, then I know I'm able to hear what he wants to say to me. I know that I'm vulnerable enough. That guy was in an incredible vulnerable situation, led out of the city by a random guy with spit in his eyes. Yet in that moment, restoration began to take place. You know, rest restoration starts with a moment, but really it's a process. Jesus asked him the first time in verse 23, do you see anything? And, and, and that fascinates me because we've seen Jesus heal people without even needing to touch them, with them maybe just touching him and him not even realising that they were going to do it. You know, he's told blind people, crippled people just to get up off a mat and walk. Yet he goes through the effort of, of touching the guy's eyes and then goes, do you see anything? And part of me goes, Jesus, couldn't you have just kind of done it the first time? And he goes, yeah, I kind of see some stuff. And this is what I love about the guy. I, I maybe would have just hedged my bets and gone, yeah, I can kind of see more than I could before. Thanks, guy. And, and kind of gone and, and run with that. But he's like, hey, I can kind of see what I think would be people. But they look like trees. That's kind of like what happens to me if I take my glasses off. Things get blurry. I, I can't really see properly. And he goes, it's just a bit blurry. It's not quite right. can kind of see, but not enough. And in that moment, restoration in his vision began to take place. But I love that what happens is Jesus then lays hands on him again. And his vision, one of the, I think it's the message version, says he has full 20-20 vision. And he can just see perfectly and clearly. See, it didn't necessarily happen straight away. Didn't just go from completely blind to just being able to see. And I think the lesson is because sometimes we just think everything is, is going to be instant. So kind of like we were talking about that building stuff before, that it could go from just being kind of ruined and, and not quite right and, and in a different state to just perfect straight away. But there's weeks and weeks and months and months and years and years of hard work that goes in to seeing something like that take place. True restoration is a process. And we might get some healing or restoration in part from, from Jesus, but then we find that, you know what, I'm, I'm still dealing with that issue or it's still a little bit hard or my heart's still a little bit hardened to that. And then we go again, and he, and, he, and he touches us again. And you know what? That time, it might just be a little bit closer, and a little bit closer. But then it needs to be restored again, and again, and again. 
You know, one of the places, uh, I talk about sport a little bit, but one of the, the places that I, I love to, to go is um, the MCG in Melbourne. It's, it's my favourite sporting place in the world. It's, it's an incredible place. And I, and I got to do a tour there and kind of just walked around. And in fact, I've done that tour maybe six times now because we kept doing it with school groups. So I feel like I could do the tour. Um, but, you know, in there, one of the things that they say every single time on the tour is the pride of the MCG is that they never let it get run down. So the idea is that they, the members themselves who own the ground will consistently spend money on renovating the MCG to make sure it stays the number one sporting field in the world, which it's, which it's actually rated as in the top two or three in the world. And they went on and said, we don't actually care about capacity. Sometimes our renovations actually make the place smaller. It's able to hold a little bit less. But we believe it keeps it as a, in its elite status and it's the best thing for the ground and the members, so we do it every time. You know what, sometimes restoration might feel like we're taking a little bit of a step backwards like that, like our capacity is a little bit less. But the restoration is actually what's best for us. And the reason why that is an elite ground, the reason why they're closing down sports stadiums in Australia, which is happening a little bit at the moment, we're rebuilding our own one here, is because there's no renovations that have actually taken place. They just get run down and run down and run down until they're rendered no good and we need to build another one. In fact, the one that we've shut down isn't big enough to, isn't able enough to be rendered big enough for the next one. So we actually had to completely start again. If we let ourselves get too run down, sometimes it feels like we have to start again. But sometimes it's worth going, you know what, this is going to take a hit on my capacity for a little bit. Maybe it's just a bit of vulnerability. Maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable. But I constantly need to see restoration in my life so I can stay at my very best. So I continue to allow God to work through me. So I can continue to function according to the will and the purpose that he has for my life. I'm going to wrap this up in a moment. In a, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And what I wanted to, to do was to, to intentionally take communion together, knowing that it's Christ that restores us, knowing that I've said probably a bunch of things this morning, but the reality is when we break it down, it's Christ at the cross that brings restoration to our lives. And so symbolically, we're going to, we're going to do that together. And in a moment, I'd love to just open up an opportunity to be able to pray for some people as well. If you feel like you need that, we're going to sing some songs to God. I might actually invite the band up now as well. And just to allow some space and some vulnerability, some of these things that we've just been talking about, to allow God to kind of work in our hearts. But I just want to finish lastly with this story. Many years in this church, I kind of spent my time as a youth pastor, kind of working with young people. I loved doing that. I loved my time doing that. And one of the things that we, we do in, in, on Friday nights, and the guys can correct me if we're wrong, we used to do this when I was there, maybe this is one of the changes, but every week we would allow an opportunity for response to the message. That we would allow young people to kind of have an opportunity to respond to what God was saying with them, to be able to sit with them, to be able to pray with them, to, to have small group time with them. And one particular young person I'd noticed from the very first time they walked through the door, not in a Christian home, not in a a Christian family, but every single week we'd have some sort of response and they would respond. So if it was putting up your hand, they would put up their hand. If it was coming to the front, they would come to to the front. If it was praying in their connect group, I would notice their leader would be praying for them. And it kind of, in my head, became like clockwork. I felt like saying, we're going to have a response time now, but you know, Jimmy, you can come down the front now. We'll just pray for you because I know you're going to be there. And so I went and asked him, I was like, how come, you know, you don't have to respond every time, right? You know that, that, you know, you don't have to come to the front. That's not what being a Christian is, that, you know, God is working through your life. And once you're a Christian, you know, that's all good. And when you need prayer, you can, but you don't have to. And he goes, I know that I don't have to. But he said, every time I come to this place, whatever someone says, even if it's for the second or the third time, I feel like God's making something better in my heart. 
that when someone stops and prays for me, I feel like I go home a little bit different. That I come in here with, with an issue or something I've been struggling with and someone spends that time with me, I leave here and I feel like it's different. So he said, if it's all the same and it's okay, I wanna respond every single time. Unless I feel like I don't have to. And I was like, man, like, go for it. I thought I was gonna teach him a lesson and he taught me a lesson. That every time I come before God, there's an opportunity to see restoration. But does he have my attention? Am I placing myself in places where I can give him that attention? And do I understand that it's not just a one-off moment, but that it's continual? And so this morning as we, we take that, the ushers are going to come to the front and we're going to sing some songs. And I thought actually what we can do is, is, is kind of respond to Jesus this morning, all of us in some way, by coming and recognising who He is and taking that communion together. But for those of you who say, I'd like someone to stand with me. I'd like someone to pray uh, with me. Maybe there's something in your life you go, you know what, I've held on for this for a little bit too long and I need God to come and restore it in my life. Then there's a bunch of our team here that would love to just come and pray with you. Maybe you've been working on something for a while and you feel like, you know what, it's still just there. It's still just in the back of my mind. We would love to pray with you, believing that Jesus is the great restorer and that He can begin to rebuild and reconstruct those areas of your life. But then lastly, where I started as well, is I truly believe this is kingdom business. And God has been challenging me on this all week as I've been preparing for this. And maybe you just want that challenge as well. Maybe you'd like someone to pray with you to go, you know what, when I go back into my world to conduct my normal business, I'd love someone to pray with me to help me conduct kingdom business, to have an increase of faith, an increase of belief in who Jesus is and what He can do so that He could use me to restore other people by His power. And so if that's you this morning as well, and you go, you know what, I just want an increase in that and I want someone to pray with me. We would love to join with you. So why don't we stand? We're going to sing this song, Glorious Ruins, which just speaks straight into that, about God taking things that are not quite right, that need restoration, and building them anew to last. And so you can come when you're ready, and you can grab the communion. You can take that in your time. And we're going to sing, and we're going to worship. And if you would love someone to pray with you, we would love to join with that as well. God, I just thank you that your presence is here with us this morning. Jesus, that your heart is to restore each one of us that it's continually help make us more and more like You. And so I pray for each one of us this morning that we would take that step towards You, that You would restore those things that are broken, that You would heal those things that need healing and that You would instill faith in us to know that You are a God that can restore anyone and that You could use us to help a broken world be restored by You. Come on, why don't we worship God?